perfect. All right. Let me get there. Let me just put this. Hi, guys. Good morning. I'm very excited to be here and to share this message with you. Before we read uh, our text, I just want to share, give you actually, let in, give you a secret of how I prepare my sermons. Right? <laughs> so I'm either assigned the text or I choose a text and roughly say, okay, what's the goal? What I want to convey? And then I go and share that with Rose. You know, say, you know, this is my text. This is what I will get. What do you think? <coughs> And she gives me the whole outline of my servant. All right? I said, I'm coming to you, Rose. This is amazing. It's a really Rose so, yeah, I've called her my chat GPT. Right? <laughs> Those of you know, <laughs> ask a question that gives you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Yes, yeah. yeah, so today we're going to look at a parable. parable parable of the Good Samaritan, which some of us have heard maybe a dozen times, some of us have heard literally maybe a hundred of times. Before we read the text, let me just say a couple of words about what is a parable. Right? What I found beautiful in parables is like just the multifaceted, how multi-layered it is. Right? So the first, the first clear layer is the story. Right? Jesus is telling a story. He wants to capture people's imagination, people's minds, but also just another random story, a story that is anchored in that culture, right? So that people know, ah, that's why he talks about shepherds and sheep, because it's a common thing. He talks about agriculture, the parable of the sower. Ah, yeah, because people can relate. Maybe it's their daily work, daily activity. They can relate uh, to themselves. Second layer, clearly, Jesus is teaching a lesson. More often than not, it's about how how do you live in the kingdom? You know, what happens in the kingdom? That's a lesson. Let's teach them. You know, how do you live? Third layer, clearly, Jesus being God is the greatest theologian, right? Who ever lived on earth, right? He, they call him rabbi. He was a teacher, right? So clearly, when Jesus tells the story, he is the smartest man, right? So he is teaching something about God. And the fourth layer, which not all parables have, but this parable does, is through a parable, Jesus is hinting and giving a glimpse of who he is, the nature of Jesus. So not all parables have that, but this one has. So we'll go through and peel over these layers and see what the parable of the Good Samaritan has for us. Let's read through the text. Yes, perfect. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? The teacher said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor of the man who fell into the hands of ro robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. As it's a story, it's nice, let's go through it as the story unfolds. First of all, it's interesting. Right? When I was a kid in Lebanon, every t at school, every time the teacher came, we all stood up and said, no, good morning, mister, whatever. You know? And when I, so when I went to Cyprus afterwards, it was a French school. Like, the teacher came in the first day, and everyone was just sitting, like, you know, cross-legged. That's weird, you know? <laughs> and when we used to recite poems at school, you would stand up, and the teacher would be sitting down, you know? That was our culture, perhaps it's relevant. But here it's interesting, the teacher is standing up, right? But clearly not out of respect, he's there to trap Jesus. Right? So clearly the context is a bit tense there already. But it is quite humorous as well, because being like the expert of the law and out there to test Jesus, his question is not a very smart one. Yeah? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, I think the last time we all checked, an inheritance is a free gift, right? I cannot make myself your son, right? I'm either adopted into your family or biologically born, right? I cannot make, do something to inherit your legacy or your money, whatever. But Jesus goes along with it. I said, okay, what does the law say? He says, well, the law says, you know, love the Lord God with all your heart, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, great. Do that consistently every moment, every day, every hour, and you will have eternal life. But as we saw through Galatians, right, that is not possible, right? But that's not enough. The teacher goes again. says, well, who was my neighbor? So it's interesting to appreciate the power of this question that the Jews at the time, right, love your neighbor as yourself is clear in the Old Testament teaching. But it had become viewed as the neighbor as your fellow Jew. Right? Not really like the outsider who you welcome into your community. The neighbor had become my fellow Jew. And even for some Jews, that had become, well, my fellow Jew who adheres to the same teaching as I do. Right? That narrow uh, understanding of who your neighbor is. And so the teacher of the law wants to test you on that. And then Jesus says, okay, let me tell you a story which will shift your whole paradigm and how you think about that commandment. And so let's go into the story now. It's interesting. Eh? So robbers come and beat the man. And you know, in the Middle East at the time, robbers wouldn't really hurt you if you didn't show opposition or defiance. Right? So clearly this poor guy had showed some defense, you know, and so they had left him half dead. And then the priest comes. Before we get into it, I think it's important to realize that I think on some videos that we watch, we see the priest just walking around the room, right? 
And you know, if today there's an ambassador who wants to go from Rotterdam to Delft, he will not walk. Right? I mean, best case, worst case, he will take the bike, but most probably he'll take the car. Right? And so clearly here, the priest is on the donkey. Right? He's not walking. And so the big question, right? why didn't the priest stop? Right? I mean, the priest, they were so zealous for the law. Right? Everything they did, what they ate, where they went, how many kilometers they walked, you know, whatever. You know, that was what the law said. Right? So why didn't he stop? Clearly, this is a good thing, right? To help somebody. Why don't you stop? And so we have to appreciate that when the priest sees that half dead man, he has all these questions going into his mind. You know, should I stop? Should I stop? But why? So, you know, there was one law in the Old Testament that says, you know, if there is a dead man, if you approach him from some distance, then you are ceremonially defiled, what they call. Right? So it means that you couldn't eat from temples tithes, you know, you couldn't receive the tithe, your family couldn't receive it, you had to tear your robes, etc. So in a nutshell, let's say, for one week, he wouldn't have a salary, right? That's a big ask, you know, to help somebody and to be defiled and everything. And second as well, coming to the question of neighbor, from a distance, he couldn't even tell if that person was his neighbor or not. For all he knew, that guy could have been a foreigner. Right? So you wouldn't be even obliged to help him. So it was quite risky, you know, doing the pros and cons. I said, you know what, better be safe than sorry. Let me just, you know, pass through. He's not obliged. He thinks he's not obliged. Here it's interesting. I think more often than not, you know, Jesus is not criticizing the priest itself. Right? He's criticizing that system, you know, which apparently tied up people like on those legal codes. Right? and let that people dying on the floor. Right? It's interesting, Jesus says in Matthew, right? he says, you Pharisees, you, know, you give a tenth of your spices you know, on, on mint, cumin, but you forget to show justice, compassion, and faithfulness. Yeah? And Jesus is saying, you know, put the focus where it's at. You know, those important matters of the justice, love the Lord your God and your neighbor, and let everything else flow out of that priority in your life. You know, and Jesus is so sharp. In that, in that verse in Matthew where he says, you know, you give a tenth of your spices, but you forget the important matters of the justice, he said, you should have done the latter. You should have shown justice, but without neglecting the former. Right? So he's saying, you know, yes, first of all, put that priority. Love the Lord with all your heart. And then, yes, read your Bible, whatever you want. Give to the church, but not the other way around. Second, the Levite. What's his excuse? Uh, why doesn't he stop? And so, you know, the geographical context, right, from Jerusalem to Jericho is downhill. So the assumption is that the Levite would have seen the priest from a distance, right? Or he would have seen the shadow, whatever, you know? He said, okay, if the priest didn't stop, I'm off the hook, right? And now, I think we can have some drum rolls here. What happens? The Samaritan comes, right? And everyone, like, we can have to imagine, like, uh, the eyes of the expert of the law, whoa, what's happening? First, we, because, before we say why it's, like, huge, I think we have to appreciate as well the, the structure of the story, right? You have the questions, but you have the robbers, you have the, Le- uh, the priest, you have the Levite, and you have the Samaritan. Then, basically, the Samaritan does what the Levite doesn't do, 
the Samaritan does what the priest doesn't do, and then the Samaritan compensates for what the robbers did. So clearly, the appearance of the Samaritan is at the climax of the story. And at the time, Samaritan, Jews and Samaritans were enemies. They hated each other. And it's as if like Azerbaijan and Armenia are at war now. You said that this Azerbaijani man came and saved an Armenian. What? If anything, it's the Armenian who's the hero, you know, and can save the Azerbaijani, right? But not the other way around. Right? So clearly in this story, people would have expected, oh, it's this Jewish hero who saved the Samaritan. But clearly not the other way around. Right? So, whoa, there's an element of shock and surprise and unexpected intervention. So Jesus, that second layer that we looked at the parable, he's redefining. Right? He says to the expert, oh, you think you know, that your neighbor is the one who believes the same things as you do. Right? I am redefining. It's not who your neighbor is, is who you are being a neighbor to. Right? This is how it is in the kingdom. Show justice, compassion, and mercy. Go beyond what you think who your neighbor is. Go beyond your paradigm. It's interesting because just to get the power you know, of being a neighbor, I don't know if you, you guys have heard this uh, Jewish psychotherapist called um, Viktor Frankl, amazing uh, person. And basically, yeah, he was a psychotherapist, but he also endured Auschwitz. And um, he writes in his autobiography, like Man's Search for Meaning, writes his autobiography how he survived Auschwitz. And after that, I think he had clients, really, and like one of the clients calls in the middle of the night, I think, and like she is about to commit suicide, right? And basically, Viktor Frankl spends time on the phone and, and like convincing her, you know, giving her reason to live, right? And then she drops, uh, like she hangs up. I think years later or something, they meet in the conference and Viktor Frankl says, you know, what convinced you? You know, what did I say that convinced you, right, to live? The woman says nothing. But because you gave me your time, I had hope, you know? I had hope that there is, there are people who care for me. You know, there are people who are willing to spend time with me, right? Not just that power, right, of making time for others and being a neighbor, you know? And let's look at the Samaritan, what he does. He binds up the wounds right, of a Jewish man who was half dead. And then he goes into an inn. And then here as well we have to appreciate what's happening here. Because there was no evidence that there was an inn between Jerusalem and Jericho. So most probably he went to an inn which was in Jericho. What's the issue here is that Jericho is a Jewish town. Right? So imagine again, you know, an Azerbaijani man carrying a half-dead Armenian on his back and going into an Armenian town, right? Go and convince the villagers that you found him uh, that it was like that, right? So imagine the danger he was putting himself into, right? By going into that Jewish town, he was putting his life into danger by saving that man. And it wasn't enough. He goes and pays the innkeeper. Right? There were laws at the time that if you didn't pay the innkeeper, the innkeeper could sell you as a slave. Right? So he had to pay to make that, like, if we wanted to, that salvation complete, right? Effective. <laughs> That's crazy still. What he says is that the next day, he says, I'm going to leave, right? Maybe to, just to save himself, right? 
But he says, I'm going to come back and pay you what is left, you know, if there's anything left. Right? The Samaritan goes above and beyond putting his life in danger. And I think here we're starting to see right, that the Samaritan is just not your regular Samaritan. Right? He's not just a regular person. Jesus, through the Samaritan, he is telling his own story. Right? He is telling his own story, his own mission, right? how he came to give his life right? in an unexpected and costly way. Right? Ultimately on the cross, yes. But also, I would really encourage you to look at Jesus' stories from this angle of unexpected and costly love. If you take the story of Zacchaeus, well, they were all in the crowd. People saw Zacchaeus, ah, we hate that guy. You know, he works for the Romans, he takes our taxes, he takes double our taxes. And Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. Then suddenly, you know, we can imagine all that hate that was towards Zacchaeus and now it's towards Jesus. Unexpected and costly love. Or when Jesus put himself in between the adulterous woman and the people who were stoning her, right? Jesus bends down to write on the sand. He puts himself in danger. He can't see that people can stone him right there. Right? That demonstration of that costly and unexpected love. We wouldn't expect it. As we narrow down a bit to see how we can apply this to our lives, there's one more thing which is really important to see. What Jesus does in the New Testament he takes something which was attributed to God in the Old Testament and applies it to himself. Right? He says, I am the good shepherd. And clearly, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And here what he does, what, what's the first thing the Samaritan does? The Samaritan binds up the wounds and then pours oil and wine. Why bind and then disinfect, right? Clearly, Jesus here is echoing an Old Testament truth in Hosea 6 where it is God who binds up the wounds of his people. Right? And here we see what Jesus is doing. He's taking that picture of God binding up the wounds. But eventually that Samaritan, through the Samaritan, starts with talking about God, but ends up Jesus talking about himself. Right? So in a nutshell, Jesus is saying, through me you can see the full face of the Father. Uh, through me you can see the heart of the Father. It's like what Philip said, you know, the disciple said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so as we narrow down, I want to focus on that one aspect of the heart of the Father. Uh, without being stereotypical, but expect the unexpected right with our Lord it's when I moved from the, from Switzerland to the Netherlands uh, I moved clearly because uh, I wanted to be with Rose full time here but also I never knew that actually I would feel so much at home in Netherlands you know here where we live on the street there's a guy who sells sweets the first time I went to eat from that place I tasted it. That's the thing they make in a town in Syria. It had exactly the same taste. It took me back 15 years. Yeah. I never knew that God would bless me even more than I thought. I thought I was coming here to the road. But he put me in a place where I feel so much at home, beyond what I expected. And those truths are for us. 
right? Paul says in Ephesians 3, God can do immeasurably more than what you can ask or imagine. At 1 Corinthians 2, he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Right? We can be excited for what God has in store for us, right? for who we are becoming. We can be excited. And also, I believe this aspect of God exceeding our expectations or you know, expecting the unexpected from God calms our anxieties as well. Now, I will, I will take one example. Part of my work is uh, doing some uh, supporting business development. And it can cause me some stress sometimes because I reach out to people, they don't answer, I wait, what's happening, etc. And so it causes some anxiety in me. And the other day I was sitting in Amersfoort uh, station and I have a fancy tablet, so there, some guys get interested in it. And this guy just next to me said, oh, what is that tablet? So one thing led to another, I was talking to him. He ended up, that guy ended up being from Australia and working in the same sector as we do, a potential client. Right? So me worrying about like my leads, why aren't people responding? And out of nowhere, on the bench in Amersfoort Central, a guy from Australia who works for like a potential, and he can be a potential prospect. Like <laughs> God's saying, you know, don't worry, I know what you need, you know? And that is, I think, as well, the amazing combination as well, is that, yes, you can, we can expect the unexpected from God as well, because he knows what we need, right? Look, I mean, Luke 12 says, you know, Jesus says, look at the lilies of the field, you know? They don't toil nor spin, but yet not even Solomon, you know, is clothed as much as them. How much more will your father clothe you? You know, Matthew 6 says, do not be anxious. You know, your father knows what you need, right? And I think it's that, it's that truth right, that, as like Bill was praying, right, that the Holy Spirit is with us, right? The God of the universe is with us, right? That there's nothing we cannot overcome with the Lord. And there's nothing we cannot overcome with the Lord, And also sometimes, as we narrow down and finish, sometimes as well it can be difficult. You know, we can be disappointed. Right? We expect something and it doesn't really work out that way, right? And it is really hard. I think for me there are two things that really help me. Is one as Wendy, somebody came to preach among us, like, uh, yeah, a month ago, that the kindness of God, right, that we can grieve and we can express our disappointment. Right? And then the second as well, when let's say God doesn't, you know, uh, comes through the like unexpected way, and sometimes, you know, that Australian example that I gave in Amersfoort doesn't happen, right? Those people don't respond. But what helps you is to really speak that truth or myself is, you know, God is more interested in the growth of my character than anything else. And it's been interesting because lately, you know, some leads haven't been working. But man, I have peace. You know? Well, that is different. And I think it's what 
that's what, again, the pastor Hank from Mustard came and spoke to us about. It's that elasticity. Right? It's that resilience that God is building. Right? It's like James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials, right? Because trial will build your perseverance and let perseverance have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what I want to do just right now is that we can have a time of response. And let's think of you know, something, maybe something at home or something at work or something within us right, that is causing us some anxiety. Right, and let's speak those truths on ourselves. Let's take a moment for that. Ephesians 3, God can do immeasurably more than what we can imagine. We can rest in that reality. Right, whoa, you know, God, the universe is with me. Right? He will come through for me in a way that I don't expect. Maybe he'll change the circumstance, but maybe he'll give me that peace and I'll be like, whoa, how do I have peace? Right? Or again, 1 Corinthians 2, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared right, beyond your imagination. And what has been as well helpful for me is while we give this to the Lord, and expect the unexpected from the Lord is thanking Him in advance. Right? That's what Philippians 4 says, you know, do not be anxious in anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? Thank you, Lord, in advance that you're going to come through for me in this. I know I have an issue tomorrow at work, but Lord, thank you in advance. I know, you know, you'll come through for me. Suddenly a colleague out of nowhere will give me the solution I want, or you'll give me the peace and deadline will be moved, whatever. Or my character will grow and I'll build resilience. I'll be strong and people will see that. Thank you, Lord, in advance for what you're going to do in my life. Let's take a moment. Then I'll, I'll pray and close.